Hi, I'm Yasmin DiGiulio. And I'm Dale Parsan. We're your hosts for Mailing It, the official podcast of the United States Postal Service. As you know, our goal with Mailing It is to help you better understand the vital yet often overlooked role the U.S. Postal Service plays in keeping us connected. In this episode, we'll talk about how the Postal Service gets ready for the winter holiday season. For the second straight year, the country is dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic as we all prepare for the holidays. That likely means a lot of online shopping, again, for gifts, decorations, and whatever else we need to celebrate. That translates into more deliveries, a lot more deliveries. Last year, the Postal Service was hit by a double whammy caused by the pandemic. First, because so many people were reluctant to go vote or go holiday shopping in person, an unprecedented number turned to mail-in ballots and online shopping throughout the fall. That led to an unusually sharp increase in the volume of mail and packages the Postal Service had to process and deliver. Second, by mid-December, our network was having to deal with roughly 10 million more packages per day than we could process. Remember, by law, we can't refuse package volume. So we took on a lot of volume in December from other shippers after they maxed out their capacity. Even as the Postal Service dealt with a dramatic increase in mail volume late last year, we were also hit with a reduction in available staff. As employees were impacted by COVID, whether it was being quarantined, falling victim to, or needing to care for family members impacted by the virus. This year, however, will be different, and we'll talk about why with our guests. Isaac Cronkite, our Chief Logistics and Processing Operations Officer, and Dr. Joshua Colin, our Chief Retail and Delivery Officer. Today we'll be covering how we got here, how we make sure this year is better, and where we go from here. So Isaac, Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank Great you. to be here. To start things off, Isaac, tell us what you're responsible for as Chief Logistics and Processing Operations Officer. In short, I'm responsible for 298 processing facilities that process all of the letters, flats, and packages uh, for the country, and uh, also the logistics that connects all of that, uh, transporting that product uh, between plants and uh, into the delivery units. Wow, it's quite a large network that we have all across the country. Absolutely. Josh, what's in your wheelhouse as Chief Retail and Delivery Officer? I'm I'm responsible for overseeing about... 32,000 retail uh, outlets and about 18,000 delivery units, uh, which also encompasses about uh, 142,000 city routes and about 80,000 rural. And then along with that, uh, we have over 200,000 vehicles in the fleet. And, you know, we're responsible for everything that Isaac processes. He hands off to our team for delivery. Nice. Those are some big numbers. I think it really shows kind of the scale of our operations. Yes, it does. It's a, it's a, it's a vastly large, the largest network in the world. So before we get started, I think it makes sense to better explain at a high level how mail moves from point A to point B. Okay. So first of all, it starts with the customer. They come in, they either drop mail into a blue box out there in our neighborhoods, or they bring the mail into one of our retail uh, centers, about 32,000. It's a letter or, fl- or magazine or a package. They hand it off to the clerk. And the clerk puts it in a container and they send it to Isaac in the plant. And we get thousands of containers full of loose letters and loose packages, loose uh, flats. And our job is to uh, get it first processed so that we can uh, handle it throughout our network. So on the letter side, we, uh, we run it through an operation that faces it, uh, puts it all in a single uh, tray, 
uh, it puts barcodes on every single piece of mail uh, that we can track from that point forward that essentially tells us where to send that letter throughout its uh, journey. And we actually use sophisticated optical character recognition to determine where it's going uh, and uh, embed that information in, in the barcode and, and we cancel the stamp. Uh, from that point forward, everything's handled uh, in an automated fashion. Uh, across a lot of high-speed uh, processing equipment, we tend to handle uh, letters and packages uh, once or twice in the origin site, get it packaged up in a, into a sack, a tray, a container, and, and launch it into the network, uh, whether it's going around the corner to a, a neighboring plant uh, or right back out to a, a post office, or it's going across the country. So we're putting it on uh, planes, we're putting it on trucks, uh, and and getting it to the destinating plant. Uh, the destinating plant is the plant that's uh, the closest to the delivery unit, and uh, we process uh, the letters, flats, packages across the same type of high-speed equipment using the same barcodes uh, to get it to uh, the, the post office level. And for letters and flats, we organize it down to the carry route, or we actually sequence letters and flats so that it can just go straight to the carrier and, and, and be delivered. Uh, and and we, uh, when it's already done uh, in its, its tray uh, or in its container, we send it out uh, to Josh uh, into one of the 18,000 delivery units around the country. And then our dedicated carriers, over 200,000 strong, start delivering the mail to our customers. And we're out there doing packages, letters, flats, uh, efficiently and effectively uh, throughout that day. So if we're talking peak preparedness, you're definitely the right two people to have in this uh, room with us today. We would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of peak preparedness, take us back to last year. How is it different from previous holiday seasons? Well, uh, last peak uh, really exacerbated a lot of the challenges that we normally contend with uh, during peak. Uh, we were certainly impacted, like everyone else, with the global pandemic, and that affected uh, employee availability, and, and that put a strain on, on our operations. Uh, we also dealt with uh, unprecedented volumes. Uh, normally, during peak, we're contending with maybe double uh, the package volume of a, of a normal uh, day. This year, we had 40% more than prior holidays. So we're talking about uh, you know 50% increase and then 40% of that 50% increase on top of it. So long story short, a ton of uh, packages and simply overwhelming uh, the the package sorting equipment that we have. Uh, so our planes were bulked out, our trucks uh, weren't getting unloaded, loaded uh, correctly. And, and in many places, we went into a, a gridlock where we weren't able to, uh, if we were able to uh, process it, uh, we weren't able to, to dispatch it. And we started seeing uh, a lot of delays throughout our, ne our network. So whenever we're talking about the country being in a state of turmoil, um, with COVID-19 pandemic definitely being one of them, uh, one of the more consistent uh, visual images that we have for the country, whether it's after an earthquake or a hurricane, is the postal service. Seeing that, that postal vehicle drive up, seeing a mail carrier. Uh, Josh, would you mind jumping a little bit more and telling us about the employee availability challenges that we were facing during this time? Uh, so, Dale, you talked about sense of normalcy. normalcy. So I'll talk about that first, that when there is a tragic, tragic event or 
something that shakes the world, the U.S. Postal Service and their, our brand reestablishes that uh, we're getting back to normal, and it's the first thing our customers see. Uh, part of the challenge coming out of the pandemic was the employee availability. Now, currently, we're, we're doing better. You know, we're in 80, 81, 82%, you know, retail delivery as well as logistics. However, um, it's the pockets. Uh, you know, 81, 82% is a very good percentage to go into any delivery unit and go into the day-to-day. But we have locations that, although they may be 80, 81%, you start peeling it back, you'll have locations that'll be at 50, 60. So you really have to look at the large scope, and then you have to go into the certain communities where may be challenged, and whereas the employee availability goes down to 70 or 60 or 50. Then you have to be smart about the decisions you're making to ensure you get mail to the communities that we serve every day. But we're much more uh, strategically aligned this year than we were last year. So outside of of the COVID-19 pandemic, we also had another very large event happening in the country, and it has to do with uh, the election that was happening at this time. How did the large increase in mail-in election ballots impact the Postal Service's holiday season preparedness? Well, one thing to be clear on is uh, election mail and political mail, we have plenty of capacity and have for a long time to, to process that effectively. So that really was, it was never an issue of having sufficient equipment. Uh, but we did go into what we call the fall mailing season uh, with carrying a lot more delays, a lot more inventory than that we normally would. Uh, and we did put a very intense focus on election and political mail and, and did take uh, some focus and some resources off of uh, other mail, other packages, just to absolutely make sure that we serve the American public uh, with, with the election. So how do we typically prepare for peak within our operations, both from the processing side as well as the delivery side? Well, from delivery standpoint, we started uh, getting prepared for peak um, around February of this year. You know, in the past, the Postal Service was the premier employer. Um, Now everyone has choices, so we have to do our peak hiring earlier. We have to stay in front of the retention rate uh, by location. I think the HR has done a great job with logistics and delivery of hiring up to those numbers so that we know that there's going to be some employees that that may wash out, so we had to keep hiring. And there's been uh, institutional uh, pressure, which has been a good thing, to ensure we get the pipeline consistent, we hire and we get that number up uh, prior to peak. This year, we started making decisions and taking action in January, which was a, a big shift. The, the key learning from uh, peak is we needed more people, we needed more processing equipment, and we needed more space, and we needed better logistics. None of that you know, just happens overnight. You have to you know, prepare for it and build the pipeline. So in January, that's when we started implementing an entirely different approach on complement. So we made the decision to go ahead and uh, increase our career complement uh, by 30,000 uh, more people uh, than we had last year. So the, the reality is right now I have more people in processing logistics than I had last December. And we're still going to be focused on hiring additional resources uh, specifically for peak. 
Uh, and, and the same goes for equipment and, and building space. Uh, we are in the process of implementing and uh, deploying 89 package uh, sorting equipment in our processing network. Uh, and all of that will be up and fully running uh, prior to peak. And uh, that'll enable us to run 4.5 million more packages per day, just deploying that additional equipment. And then also uh, going after getting space. So we made a, a decision early in, in the year that we need to go and get some long-term annexes that, that, can, uh, that we are, we're certain that we're going to have. And we can use them differently than we perhaps did uh, in, in the past. We are actually putting uh, processing equipment in uh, our 45 uh, long-term annexes and making sure that they're ready to handle much more volume than we would normally push through uh, through an annex to help alleviate some of the the, the shortfalls in, in our processing facilities. Definitely sounds like we've been squeezed on, on both ends of the spectrum between uh, having more mail and fewer people to handle it. Uh, Josh, from a local perspective, what kind of challenges were, were you facing on the retail and delivery side? You know, we learned last year that we needed to ensure that we had more employees available. And right now we're about 4,000 ahead of last year's pace of carriers uh, and with another additional five to hire before we go into peak. So we're talking about an additional 10,000 carriers that's the target to go into peak. And then uh, we have, you know, very good logistics and analytics to tell us you know, how to keep those key sites uh, moving. Um, you know, we're working on Sundays right now. So we're doing that so that we can stay ahead of the analytics to tell us that if we have a, a site at risk. And so we plan to go into like a preseason peak and run it until the end of December. And I know logistics is also kind of doing it together uh, because normally you would start right after, right before Thanksgiving. Due to what we've learned in the supply chain, we're starting two weeks prior and we're going to be into that, you know, seven days a week and we'll, you know, flex up and flex down based on the network. And that'll allow us that if we have to make adjustments, you know, during that period, we'll be able to make adjustments very quickly. That'll carry us into the month of right after Black Friday. So that's unheard of. Normally we would we would start right at Black Friday, you know, right right after Thanksgiving. We're starting three, about almost three weeks prior. In March, we introduced the Delivering for America plan, which is sort of our 10-year vision, our 10-year plan for service excellence and financial sustainability. Um, I know there's a lot of elements to the plan, um, but I think a lot of the things that they talk about will help you guys prepare for peak as well as just preparing the network for the future. So could you guys talk a little bit about what's in Delivering for America and how it's going to help you? Yeah, certainly a lot of what I described uh, is included in the Delivering for America plan, and it, it comes down to investment, investing in processing equipment, investing in facilities, investing in people, uh, and, and investing in, in our logistics uh, environment. So th that everything that I described uh, that we're deploying for PEAK is part of the 10-year plan. And, and the reality is uh, PEAK happens every year. It's on the calendar. It happens every year. So we need to do a much better job of being prepared and ready for peak. And in doing so, it'll help us the, the other 10 months out of the year. Uh, so that, that is part of it. So all of the investment that enables us to be strong and peak, uh, carry over and, and build a foundation, a much better foundation to handle growth 
to be more reliable uh, in, in terms of uh, delivering uh, on time and, and things like that. So uh, it's, it's all part of that. Now, what a couple of things that I haven't mentioned uh, are looking at our our service targets and our uh, we've had uh, service targets and service standards that have that we have not met. We have not achieved our, our service standards in quite some time over over eight years. Uh, that's part of our issue is we've been spending a lot of money uh, trying to chase standards that are unachievable and put an over-reliance on air. Uh, to get a letter uh, or a flat or a package from Washington to L.A., got to put it on a plane if, if we're going to get it there within three days. Uh, our network is challenged on a daily basis and we have not been able to be reliable in getting that product uh, within that standard. Uh, and we're, again, paying a lot of money to, to do it. So adjusting the service standards uh, that enable us to be more cost-effective and reliable is, is a key part of our future. Uh, and we've already implemented that uh, for letters and flats, and that will help us uh, during uh, peak because uh, it'll, it'll help uh, make sure that we prioritize uh, the, the right uh, products going onto planes and that we are reliable and meet the customer expectation uh, during, during peak. Great. From a retail and delivery perspective, Josh, uh, how does the Delivering for America plan impact you? Uh, well, first of all, it goes back to what Isaac talked about investment. Organizationally, we've, um, the Postmaster General has taken an aggressive approach to in, investing in the vehicles first. You know, we have a, a next generation delivery vehicle uh, that even though it won't be hitting peak, it's going to uh, allow us to ensure we have enough cube, enough automation, enough capacity to deal with uh, those pockets. And it's, you know, it's our first vehicle in 30 years. So that's a serious investment out of the Living for America plan. In addition, uh, it also allows us to invest in equipment. There's additional sorting, even though you know, Isaacs has the logistics and processing. There are sorters that have been allocated for retail and delivery to help us sort packages into those um, medium to size offices to sort packages downstream. There are locations that, based on uh, demographics, that are uh, good uh, opportunity sites to, to sort uh, in addition to what Isaac does upstream. Uh, also, the Living for America plan aligned the reorganizational structure to be more precise. So logistics and processing has their piece uh, to be precise within their marketplace. And then retail delivery, you know, you give us the mail, we got to deliver it. You know, we, you know, the, the focus around the support structure and all those administrative functions, it's really stovepipe to headquarters. So we can put our effort and time around delivering packages, delivering mail, waiting on the customer. So that is uh that is a part of the Living for America plan, plan and also uh, providing uh, visibility around in the, the service of 95 on time throughout all the product lines. So we are leveraging those resources now, and uh, it, it provides a, a, val a value string picture for us in retail delivery to once you give us the mail, we got to deliver it. Focus 100% on what we do every day, what we do well. So Isaac, you, you brought up the idea of service standard changes and the reliance on air transportation that we've had traditionally. Um, how is that changing? And um, you know, how is relying less on air delivery improving our situation with the Postal Service? 
the the reality is, and we saw this uh, really exacerbated during the pandemic, uh, is uh, we have an over reliance on on air transportation, uh, and it's by definition pretty rigid. Uh, just think about traveling yourself. Uh, if 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 you show up late uh, to catch a plane, they're not holding the plane for you. The plane's going, and if the plane runs out of seats. Uh, you're not getting on the plane. It, the same thing uh, is true uh, for for mail and packages. If if we run out of space on the plane, there's no other plane. And if if we're late uh, to get it to the plane, uh, you know there's there's no uh, waiting. Uh, the plane's launching. Uh, but overall, the entire air network uh, in 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 the U.S. is is constrained, uh, both on the freight side and on you know, passenger. And, and both of those imp, uh, affect us. It's proved out to be unreliable and uh, expensive, which is a really, really bad combination. Uh, there will always be a need for it, uh, but we need to be strategic about what we use it for because it's a finite constraint. Um, and so we're focused on shifting volume from the air to ground. And the reality is that we have been massively underutilizing our ground transportation. We run 50,000 trucks across the country daily. Uh, between plants, uh, between delivery units and plants, 50,000 trucks. And on average, we've uh, historically been operating at a 30% utilization. So we are transporting 70% air. Uh, and we're faced with driver shortages and truck shortages. And uh, so it, it's quite obvious. Uh, how do we better utilize our surface transportation, put more on it, uh, and uh depend less on, on air transportation uh, because it's, it's constrained and uh, unreliable and, and expensive. So that's what service standard change is focused on, and that's what our network transformation is, is focused on, is, is really better utilizing the transportation we have to be more reliable and more cost-effective. So you both have talked a lot about all of the investments and all of the planning that we're doing in preparation for peak. So from your perspective, what would be a successful peak season? When we look back at this time next year, what do you want to have seen happen? The absolute key of success from a processing logistics standpoint is being fluid. And, and we measure uh, fluidity in, in a number of factors. One is I can't have uh, uh, significant volumes of delayed inventory. Uh, I, I can't uh, have uh, mail and packages sitting on trucks waiting to dispatch. I got to have good cycle, good cycle time uh, from plants uh, out to delivery in between plants. Uh, and, and we have the ability to measure that. So I'm looking at uh, minimizing the inventory, uh, minimizing cycle time, uh, getting product as quickly as I can to the de to destinating plants. Uh, so if I, if I stay if I when we get fluid in processing logistics, that enables uh, delivery to flex their muscles and and be effective. And how about for retail and delivery? We'll monitor and react and be predictive in every delivery unit in every community we serve to every route level. We are now doing that to the level so that we want to stay in front of any package backlog concerns. We're going to uh, monitor and be very aggressive staying within a certain delivery time schedule. So if it's due to be delivered on Tuesday, we want to see that scan within a Tuesday, Wednesday, out for delivery. That's our goal. So if we stay within one day, Isaac stays fluid on his cycle time of 
packages, mail coming into delivery will stay fluid. And by all means, we want a positive customer experience. We don't want any negative news stories about <clears throat> concerns about packages, waiting for packages. We want to stay in the news on a positive aspect versus what we've seen prior. So good news stories, good press, staying within one to two days of cycle time for scheduled day of delivery. We will have success managing those those criteria. Guys, it sounds like we'd put in a lot of work in preparing for peak, and it sounds like we're in very good hands. I met with uh, plant managers th this last week in some of the places that were the most challenged last year that bore the brunt of, of all the COVID impacts and, and really had a, a, a terrible peak. Uh, they looked me in the eye and said, Isaac, I am excited for peak. Uh, I can't wait for peak to start. Bring it on. We're ready. We're excited. Let's do this. And that, to me, is uh, as exciting as it gets. Hearing it from them, I can be confident, but to hear plant managers say how confident they are. Uh, peak season is our season, and we're, we're frustrated and embarrassed on, on how we performed last year. We want to we regain the claim to peak season being our season. Uh, Isaac, Josh, it sounds like uh, confidence is high and can't wait, for, uh, can't wait to see the impact of all of our preparation. Yeah, we're ready. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. All right, thank you. Okay, time for Did You Know? As you know, in this segment, Dale and I will each share a fun historical or cultural fact about the Postal Service. That's right, Yasmin. As the name of the segment implies, it's a chance for us to shed some light on parts of the Postal Service and its history that most people probably have never heard of. Yasmin, if you don't mind, I'll get things started this time. Of course. I don't know if you're a big fan of superheroes, but there's a funny line in the movie Ant-Man and the Wasp about how much Ant-Man trusts the Postal Service. I'll spare everyone the details, but there's a part where Ant-Man talks about how he was able to shrink his suit and send it to a friend without anyone else knowing. Let me guess, he mailed it? He mailed it. When Hank Pym, the guy who created the suit, finds out, he gets a little upset. Ant-Man defends his decision by assuring Hank, hey, the Postal Service is very reliable, you know? Interesting, Dale. But where is this going? Well, back in 1958, New York City jeweler Harry Winston felt a similar sentiment toward the Postal Service. He wasn't a superhero or anything, but he did trust the mail with a very important delivery. Winston needed to get one particular piece of jewelry to the Smithsonian Institute here in Washington, D.C. He took his package to the post office, paid the first-class postage of $2.44. He even paid an extra $142 to insure the package for up to a million dollars. What did Winston mail? Only one of the world's most valuable gems, the Hope Diamond, which he had donated to the Smithsonian. The 45.5 carat diamond is valued at $350 million today. Good thing he paid for the insurance. Although I don't think it would have quite covered the loss if anything had happened to the diamond. Winston told a newspaper at the time, it's the safest way to mail gems. Well, the Hope Diamond is still on display today at the Smithsonian, and the museum still has the original packaging with postmarks. All right, Yasmin, your turn. Well, my fact doesn't have superheroes, but it does have a cave. A bat cave? No, not the bat cave. This cave is in Missouri. It's an evacuated limestone mine in Kansas City, 150 feet below ground. 
It's also home to the Postal Service's Stamp Fulfillment Services Center, our only facility located entirely underground. I'm guessing there's a reason the Postal Service chose a limestone mine in the Midwest. You're right. The complex where this facility is located is known for its constant temperature and low humidity, which make it ideal for stamp storage and distribution. Our facility takes up about 500,000 square feet and rarely needs air conditioning or heating. The Postal Service also chose this spot thanks to the cave's convenient location in the center of the country with easy access to Kansas City International Airport and several major highways. What does the Stamp Fulfillment Center do? Well, in addition to storing hundreds of millions of stamps, the Stamp Fulfillment Services from this location also manage stamp production and serve customers who order stamps and related products through our website and other channels. Among the many other things it does, the center is also the main stamp distribution point for all postal retail units. So Batman has his bat cave, and the Postal Service has a stamp cave? That's right. On that note, we'll leave it there until the next episode. Wow, Dale, that was a really interesting conversation. That was the first time I've really gotten to speak with Dr. Colin and with Isaac about what's going on in processing as well as in retail and delivery. I think for me, it was really interesting to hear what lessons they learned from last year and all of the improvements that they put into place to help customers and postal employees and our network be more prepared and feel more confident about this upcoming peak season. What did you think? Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, for me, it's it's really how fascinating it is, the global and, and national supply chains, how it's affecting the Postal Service and how we had to go above and beyond to start preparing, even in January and February, just following the end of last year's peak to try and be prepared for this year's peak. Yeah, it's really impressive how interconnected everything is these days. Well, that wraps up this episode of Mailing It. Don't forget to check our website for updates. You can also follow us on Instagram at U.S. Postal Service. Twitter, at USPS, and on Facebook. Subscribe to Mailin' It wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you don't miss the next episode.